Amen. Amen. Um, first of all, I want to shout out the folks that uh, texted this last few days and were just like, hey, I, can, I will be there on Sunday, I will walk, and I will do anything to you know, make the service happen. And so shout out to the volunteers that's, that are making today happen. Uh, we, we moved parts around. People that couldn't make it, uh, just, you know, just their own safety, calling out, like, which is totally understandable. Um, but just want to, I mean, just, I'm just so grateful. Uh, I mean, there's, there was definitely a season where, like, where a period this week where, like, should we cancel church? Should we not cancel church? Uh, and we, just judging by uh, the impact that worship had on me this morning, I'm just grateful that we had a chance to worship together, either here or over the live stream. Uh, but thank you, Barry, and thank you, Jeffrey, for leading us today. Okay, for the sermon, we're going to look at John 2, uh, the wedding in Cana of Galilee. Um, and so this is the first miracle um, of, of Jesus' ministry. And so we're going to look at this and uh, kind, of, kind of work through these first 11 verses. And there is so much here. Uh, this is an incredible story. I mentioned this at the beginning of every wedding, uh, every wedding that I get to officiate. Uh, I've learned over time. I oftentimes say, well, I married them, and my wife's like, no, 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 like, you married me, uh, you just officiated that wedding. So I'm doing better at understanding uh, to say I, the weddings I officiate, uh, we talk about this at the beginning of the liturgy, uh, and it's just an incredible story uh, that has so much meaning for us today. And I will say, in my own life, uh, what we're going to talk about today, uh, the message has never meant more uh, in the last 38 years than it does in this current season. Uh, so I, I just want to just to kind of say that coming in, but let's dive into this together. I'm going to read, and then I'm going to pray, and then we will uh, get to the sermon. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' Jesus's mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. And nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine, after the guests have had too much to drink. But you saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for the Scripture, so thankful for an opportunity to sit under the teaching of the Bible. I pray that everything that comes out of my mouth would be truth this morning. If there's anything that is, is confusing, uh, may it go in one ear and out the other. If anything not of you, may it go in one ear and out the other. But may the truth of the Scripture be preached. May the Holy Spirit convict our hearts And may you change us from the inside out. Father, we don't want to stay the way we are. We are completely loved the way we are, but we don't want to stay the way we are. We want to grow 
and our understanding of grace and love and mercy. Grow in our sanctification. Grow in looking more like Jesus. And Father, I pray that we would take a step forward in that today. And God, I thank you for the church. I thank you for an opportunity to baptize this morning. I thank you for the Whittle family, and I pray that you would bless them as they seek to raise their children in the ways of you, as they seek to love each other well, as they seek to be a light in this city. And Father, I pray for those in our church who are hurting, those who are hurting, whether it's financially or relationally or physically, or with their jobs or in their marriages. I pray that your kingdom would come. I pray that they would be known in their struggles and loved well by you and by the church body. May we be the hands and feet of Christ to one another. Father, move us forward. Propel us forward. And I pray for safety for our city. I pray for those especially that are without homes in our city. Tonight, as the temperatures drop, I pray that you would uh, open up doors of shelters, of homes, of hotels, whatever it is, to care for those who are outside tonight. And may we, as Christians, continue to not only look to our own needs, but also to the needs of others. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 So I was told in college, I was, it was a ministry, and we were kind of just getting started. I was just kind of getting started on my walk with the Lord. And I remember listening to this talk, and I don't remember, honestly, a ton of what was said. I don't remember even what the passage was about or kind of where it was in the Bible. But I remember the speaker saying that the mark of the Christian is joy. And it stuck with me ever since. Twenty years later, it stuck with me ever since. Because this is something that if you asked anybody in this room, anybody online, have you, if, you know, yes or no, do you feel like you have enough joy in your life? I have yet to hear somebody say, I'm actually good. Like, no more joy. Like, I've got enough of that. It's like people that are like, I've got, you know, plenty of time on my hands. I don't need any more extra time. I don't need any more, you know, love or patience. I, I, that cup's all the way filled up. You may feel that way with other things, but I've yet to meet a man or woman that says, I am overflowing and I do need a little less joy in my life. The reality is we could all use more joy. We're all either going through seasons where it feels, you know, kind of a neutral season where nothing great or nothing terrible has happened, or we're going through seasons, have been through seasons, or will go through seasons where it feels like life is kind of throwing, you know, the the best pitches at you over and over again, and you're just swinging and missing and feeling overwhelmed and and perplexed and frustrated and sad and fill in the blank. And you're like, gosh, I would give anything for some more joy in my life. Well, the good news we see from this passage and throughout the entire 66 books of the Bible is that God, in particular in this passage, Jesus cares a ton about your joy. And He doesn't just care about it. He's the means to more of it. I want you to see these two two things from this passage, that Jesus cares immensely about your joy and is the means of more of it. Because I want you to understand that not only is it important for you, I want you to experience more joy. If you you polled non-Christians, you polled a hundred non-Christians, non-churchgoers and said, gosh, give me, here's a list of words to describe Christians. I don't think they would describe us that way either. So may the joy that Jesus is talking about in this passage that we're going to lay out, may it not only be for us, but may it be 
so attractive that people from the outside come in and say, I don't know what's going on with those people. I don't know what they've had today, this morning, yesterday, what is, what is happening. But gosh, I want more of it. Ecclesiastes 9.7 says, Go eat your food with gladness. Drink your wine with a joyful heart. I want to name what is going on here. First and foremost, bare bones, is that Jesus, the Savior of the universe, the Messiah, is present at a party. Amen? What we see, first and foremost, we're not going to skip over it, and even before he was present... Jesus, the one that is the most spiritually um, mature person that's ever walked the face of the earth, the one who's closest to God, the one that has spent more time in his Bible, knows his Bible better than anybody else on the face of the earth, goes to the mountains to pray on his own, is unbelievably spiritually mature. Not only was he at the party, Jesus was invited to the party. Jesus and his disciples, it says in these first three verses, they were invited to the party. And this is the first of many stories that help us understand that Jesus was always welcome among those having a good time. What we don't see from this passage is Jesus sticking his nose up at people having fun. We see Jesus saying, I'm here and I am present and I'm glad to be here. He doesn't spoil the good time. In this good time, this wedding, we have to understand that though we love weddings today, our weddings today are an afternoon maybe that that bleeds into the evening. Weddings back then were a week-long celebration. They were the pinnacle of the social calendar. When you got the invite to the wedding, you blocked off that week and everybody came together. It's the highlight of the social calendar. And then in the midst of this incredible banquet celebration, the wine runs out which is a huge deal back then, which I'll get to later. But also, as Jesus, not only was he invited to the party, we recognize that the wine runs out, and he then is, is, is invited by his mother to fix a problem, and he doesn't turn that wine into, he doesn't turn that water into grape juice. Like, let's name a few things here. Jesus was, 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 was aware enough socially to be invited to the party, He says, I'm here for the party. And then when the wine, the alcohol runs out, he says, somebody comes to him saying, make more of that. And he says, yes, to that request. So I'm going to give a qualifier here about alcohol. We're going to take a quick little diversion here because I know that a lot of you have grown up, whether it's based on your church or your church background, your family background, with kind of different understandings about alcohol. Uh, and so before we kind of get into the meat of this sermon, I want to just you know prevent you from kind of going down a road of thinking too much about this. I'm going to tell you the three qualifiers, the three things about what the Bible says about alcohol. We see... First, that Christians are allowed to drink wine, and it's a gift. If somebody ever comes to you and says that the Bible, as Christians, you're not allowed to drink alcohol, you say, if it was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. Like, if he's okay turning the water into wine, we're also, it is a permissible act for us to enjoy alcohol. The second 
with all gifts. We're called to steward that gift, and particularly with alcohol, we're called to avoid drunkenness. This is not really you know, up for a huge debate in the Scripture. If you want to talk about this, I'm happy to, um, but that is a clear instruction from the Scripture. But the third thing that also is extremely important, that in the conversation about alcohol, we're called to care deeply for our brothers and sisters that do have addiction issues in this area. So a lot of the confusion over time with the church with alcohol is that we either say it's all good or all bad. And what we see from the Scripture, and we see this throughout Proverbs, throughout the Scripture, uh, nuance is a word that somehow in 2022 does not apply, it seems like, anymore to the world. But in Scripture we see, yes, it is okay and permissible to drink alcohol, but we're also called to care deeply for those that have a struggle or addiction, even to the point where we say we will withhold from drinking it if it causes you to stumble. So with those qualifiers in place, let's name again that Jesus didn't turn this into grape juice. He turned it into wine. When this happened, this could have been the end of the party. And Jesus could have said, all right, like, you know, you guys have been having enough fun. Let's go spend some time in prayer together. And the man loved some prayer, but he didn't say that. He said, I'm going to make more wine. He also didn't say, okay, let's go, you know, let's take this moment to read the Scripture and study the Scripture more. The man knew his Torah, he knew his Bible, he loved to teach people about it, but in this moment right here, he's saying, and I think we need to hear it, you are free to enjoy that moment at the wedding, and may you hear from me, hear from Jesus, that you, brothers and sisters, are also free to experience joy in your life. Amen? And I love watching you all do this. One of, the fa- one of my favorite things about Redeemer is that you guys are some of the funniest, kind of laughingest, good time Christian group of people I have ever been around. You may be in the world, but not of it, but Jesus also has given you permission and you have walked forward in the freedom to enjoy your life and enjoy your time with each other. As a pastor, we, I try to explain this and teach this because I oftentimes... When people hear that I'm a pastor, you know, I'll be in a, in a normal conversation. Maybe I'm, you know, on public transit or I'm in an airplane or whatever it is, and I introduce myself, and the next question is, what do you do? And I, you know, sometimes will lie and just say I'm a public speaker. Other times I will say, I will just say, actually, I'm a pastor. I pastor, I'm one of the pastors on staff of this church in Atlanta. And instantly, like, for a lot of people, the the climate changes, where they feel uncomfortable, like if they have said, kind of, if they've, you know, said a cuss word before I've introduced it, then they say, I'm really sorry, I apologize for saying that, and I'm like, it's okay, like, sometimes I slip one out too, like, it's not the end of the world, like, and so I hate that, like, dynamic, and so even in my own life, when I do a wedding, when I officiate a wedding, I will, uh, and, and Diane knows this as well, like the expectation is as soon as that dance floor opens, Diane and I are one of the first people out there. Because I want people to understand that the same guy that told them about Jesus during the ceremony is also loves to dance with his wife. And we've got like seven moves, and we do all those moves, and we sit right back down and enjoy that dinner. Um, But we do those seven moves as well as anybody on the dance floor. But that is part of the message of our lives. That you, if you are preaching and and caring for the non-Christians in your life, it's not just telling them about Jesus. It's also showing them the joy that you have because of Jesus. 
And I love to watch you all do this. And I had permission to share this story, but I love officiating and going to weddings at the church. And one of my favorite ones happened a few months ago when Corey and Amy got married. And two of the most fun people that you'll ever meet in your life, um, Amy Duffy and Corey Phelps, got married. And I had to leave a little bit early to help you know, put, put one of my children into bed that night. But apparently after I left, the party even cranked up even more. The reception, you know, a couple miles south of here, to where Corey was doing karaoke to Shania Twain in front of the entire crowd. Like, the man that just got married now has a microphone and is singing. What, give me a Shania, Shania Twain song. What's the famous one? Uh, like a woman or like a... Yes. Like, apparently full blast, you know, blowing the windows out of the room loud. And I loved hearing that. Because those, any, any, especially at a wedding, any non-Christian that was present got to hear the gospel, and then they got to hear the guy that affirmed the gospel of Jesus Christ in his vows to his wife, seeing his heart out because the Lord has filled him with joy. Amen? Amen. So we see the beauty of that in this passage, but let's not miss that this story is a sign, as verse 11 says, and that sign is like a road sign pointing us to something ahead. So if all we do is we get through this story and we say, wow, Jesus turned water into wine, that seems so attractive to like want the joy that he's talking about, we've missed the bigger point in that the signs of Jesus are never actually the point, but they point to the bigger point. Put another way, Jesus doesn't just do this as an example for us to follow. He does this to help understand what the deeper thing is and and it's connected to our joy. Or better put, it's the means to our joy. And if we understand, when we start to understand that Jesus has a bigger message and that message is connected to the gospel, that he has died, that he has risen and he has given us hope for eternity, we start to understand that all of these signs should be seen through that lens. Who in this room or online, you can raise your hand at home, has seen the movie Sixth Sense? So this is, you're aging yourself a little bit. You're my generation. If you've seen this movie, it wasn't good enough that it like still gets watched by 20-year-olds today. But in this movie, Bruce Willis, the lead character, at the end of the movie, we learn that he's been actually dead the whole time. Spoiler alert, hashtag. Uh, if you haven't seen it, like, you know, like, spoiler alert, he's dead. Uh, you missed your window if you haven't seen it. So you're watching this movie the whole time, thinking that he's alive. In the end of the movie, you learn that he's dead. And what does everyone want to do immediately after the end of the movie? They want to watch it again. They want to watch the movie again because now they understand the, the plot so much better. And for us as Christians, we, have no, we know the end of the story, that Jesus was crucified, that they thought he was dead forever, but he was raised from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He offers us grace and forgiveness and hope. So therefore, we take that knowledge and we apply it back to the scriptures. And there's so much here. Jesus is both the means both the example, the means to the joy, both in this life and the next, but he's much, because this is much more than just a fun party. So let's break down what's happening here. First, we see from this story that is, is the man, the, the, the groom that's come to say, gosh, I, we are out of, out of wine. What do we do here? He is in desperate need of help. The groom recognizes his need for help. In biblical days, and somewhat still today, the culture, back then especially, was very much built around this idea of honor and shame. 
shame and honor. You, you did things in a way to where you could increase your cup of honor and avoided things that would cause shame to you or your family. It's not just a logistical situation for Jesus to figure out here. This is a social nightmare at the hands of these people. And who's been there before? Who's been there before where they have messed something up like this groom messed up not having enough wine and felt the shame of a mistake that you've made? Maybe it was a social mistake. Maybe it was a sin that you committed. Maybe you sinned in a grievous way. Maybe you struggle with an addiction and you've made a mess of your life, of your relationships. Maybe even a small way you've lied and hurt the people closest to you and you have that knot in your stomach that I'm sure this groom had where he said, gosh, I have messed this up. Thoughts started to go through his head of saying, oh, this is going to look bad on my family. People are going to remember that, that, that we ran out of wine for months and years to come. This will stick with me for forever. So he recognizes the shame, recognizes that feeling of I've failed. And what we see here in this sign, in this story, is that when Jesus sees the failure, failure of this groom, he doesn't shake his head in disgust. No, he has compassion and responds with grace. This isn't even just an obligation. I believe based on Jesus saying, when his mom, said, mom says, hey, can you do this? And he says, what does this have to do with me? He's telling his mother in that moment that this is not my responsibility. I don't have to do this. But instead he says, I will do this because I want to offer love and grace. Brothers and sisters, this is the Jesus we believe in. The Jesus that sees you and your failures and your shame and your guilt and doesn't just look at you and say, oh, you know, I'm obligated to help you, looks at you with that love and grace and mercy and offers it to you just like he did 2,000 years ago. And the second is that Jesus doesn't just feel compassion in this moment. He doesn't just look at this man and say, man, that really stinks. Like, good luck figuring that out. Like, good luck finding, and the, the, the scholars say it's probably close to 180 gallons of wine he's got to find. Which also, like, bro, how do we get invites to these parties? But, like, in the moment here to say, he doesn't look at it and say, like, good luck figuring out this problem. No, instead, he fixes that problem. And what do we see in how he fixes that problem? In verse 6, he, said, he talks about the six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification. Jesus, in this miraculous sign, in him turning the water into wine, he's not just solving a social problem, he's teaching all of us. He could have snapped his fingers and produced that wine, but instead... He gets the jars that were made for the Jewish rites of purification, which are probably in an adjoining building or the synagogue down the street. And he says, go get those jars. Now the light bulbs go off for us to say, gosh, this is understanding the end of the story. What is Jesus trying to teach them and us? He's trying to teach them and us that the message, the bigger message, isn't just water to wine. It isn't just fixing a social problem. He's saying that it just like these jars were used for a temporary purification. I am going to offer you a permanent purification. I am going to do a miraculous work that doesn't just provide wine for a party, but provides a purification for your heart, for your life, to cover the sin that you have committed. 
Jesus fixes the earthly problem by taking care of this man's shame, by trying, by turning the water into wine. But the sign here is that he used these jars to show us ultimately that he's turning a lot more than water into wine. He's looking ahead to his death. Those jars are filled with ceremonial cleansing water, and he's turning the water, which temporarily cleanses them, into wine, which is significant because it's not just wine. He's not, not just giving them something to drink, but that wine, the light bulbs go off in us to say, this is a pointing ahead to when he talks about communion. Take this wine, and it represents my body and my blood. He's pointing them ahead to the crucifixion on the cross where he spills his blood to cover us, to cleanse us for all eternity. And he looks at that woman, when, when that, his mom, when she asked him to do it, and he responds by saying, my hour has not yet come. What a strange response. Like He could have just said, like, no, nah, like, I'm not doing this. But he responds by saying, my hour has not yet come. But we see that John has put this in chapter 2, because it's looking ahead to where he talks about the hour of his death. And he says, at this hour, this hour, my, where I, I am, I'm being crucified. He's looking ahead to the crucifixion in the hour, as that is described in the scripture, where Jesus is crucified on our behalf. All of these things are pointing ahead to the death of Christ to cover our sins. And third, we see here that Jesus provides abundantly more than we could ever ask or imagine. So he covers the man's shame. He fixes the problem. He covers our shame and guilt. He fixes our problem by dying on the cross for our sins. But then he doesn't just say, you're forgiven. He doesn't just say, oh, I'll give you a little bit of wine to cover the party. He gives them the best wine of the event. And in a parallel to our salvation, he doesn't just say, oh, you're forgiven. Like, you can sit in this corner where you're not going to hell. You're not being punished any longer. He rolls out the red carpet for us. And we see in Scripture the feast that we had to look forward to in heaven. He's not just providing something to drink. He's providing the best wine. He's not just providing a meal for us. He's providing a feast. He's not just providing forgiveness. Brothers and sisters, he's providing an eternity of joy ahead of us. Amen? So he shows us our need to be reconciled to God. He, we, how Jesus provides what we need and how Jesus is the provider of the feast that we all ultimately long for. When we have this sink in, it allows us, when it sinks into the depth of who we are, it allows us to face anything and everything in our lives, knowing that what awaits us at the Lamb's party is to come into the kingdom of God and feast with Him forever. So when we talk about joy, we aren't saying that you have to ignore the hard things in your life. There's things that I am going through, there's things that you're going through, that is un- that are unbelievably challenging and overwhelming. You're going through or have gone through or will go through times in your life where it feels like joy is the furthest thing from you, and it doesn't mean that you have to ignore that It doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't see that, but it means that in light of where we are headed for eternity, in light of the feast to come, we can taste and experience joy in the day-to-day now. Because the beauty of this is that you are not invited to follow some set of rules to be a Christian. You're invited by grace to walk into a feast. And you're not invited just to know about it, but you're invited to experience it as well. And that's my prayer for all of us.
Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your kindness and grace to us in the scriptures to give us stories that don't just point to your power, but point to who we are in you and how you abundantly provide for us. May the gospel, may the invitation of grace and mercy, may the the crucifixion of your Son, Jesus Christ, may the resurrection, may the ascension into heaven, may all of these things sink into the depths of who we are. And may they change us from the inside out. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.